It's Tuesday, June 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jim Gillies. Good to see you. Good to be seen, Chris. Warren Buffett and his colleagues went shopping. An apparel stock is hitting a two-year high, but we're going to begin in another corner of the apparel universe. The loss that Stitch Fix posted in the third quarter was smaller than expected. Revenue was higher than expected, and their guidance... Well, for Stitch Fix, the guidance was pretty rosy, and shares are up more than 10% this morning. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, so Stitch Fix is a is an interesting one. It's a, it's a, a foolish favorite. It's recommended in multiple services, including the one that I front, uh, Hidden Gems Canada. And it's one that I've always had kind of... Um, I don't want to say love-hate, because those are both too uh, extraordinary, but... but it, I can see the argument, I can see the bullish argument there that it's a data company and it's offering a better way to get people into clothes they love and and that would be their, um, uh, what they what would be, you know, for people who, you know, don't think like me, where a black t-shirt is the height of fashion, um, that that they it offers a better way and it offered a better way pre-pandemic and then of course during the pandemic when everybody buys everything all the time from the safety and comfort of their homes. Uh, you would think that Stitch Fix would have, after the initial crunch about a year ago, you would think that they would would have uh, have done well. But what's actually been the the Stitch Fix story, I think, has been almost alternating quarters of outperformance and exceptional performance and beating expectations, like we just saw. Although I have some problems with this quarter, but um, but they absolutely smashed. Uh, their own revenue guidance, their own uh, as well as consensus estimates, they did come in better on the loss level, as you said. Even though I'm old enough to remember when we thought losses per share were a bad thing, um, and then you know, but they'll 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 alternate those types of you know outperformance quarters with quarters where they just it's just dismal. Um, you know, the stock. So you know, you, you almost get every other quarter the stock surges on beating expectations, followed by a quarter of the stock implodes because they. They didn't hit expectations, um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering in a work from home world or a hybrid world that looks like what we're heading towards post pandemic. Um, I would think that this would be the time because you know again people who are going back to the office um, would would be looking to upgrade their wardrobe, and so I would expect Stitch Fix to have had a good quarter and they did, um, but but. You know, I'm not sure how often they're going to be able to repeat it. Um, and as well, things like, you know, the cash flows, like, I'm not terribly enthralled by Stitch Fix, which has over a billion and a half uh, revenue in the year to date. It has completed their third fiscal quarter. Um, but they're adjusted EBITDA margins. So, like, the highest of, you know, pseudo profitability we can come up with, their adjusted EBITDA margin is like still under 1%. Uh, their full-year adjusted EBITDA margins are in the one to two percent uh, range. Um, they've burned cash year to date uh, to the tune of about fifty-nine million dollars. But really, it's the first quarter where they actually produce cash that's kind of saving them. There, they burned uh, almost fifty-one million dollars this quarter. They burned almost sixty million dollars last quarter. Uh, now they've got three hundred million bucks on the balance sheet, so and they have no debt, so that's you know they're not not in any danger of you know going out of business or anything. Um, but I, I just, 
I again, I, I'm of two minds with this company. And after this quarter, where yeah, they beat on the headline numbers, revenue, and you know, narrower loss per share. I'm still kind of confused, to be honest with you. I'm kind of like, well, ah. I'm just. It, I, I like to say that that certain stocks are like waiting for Godot. You know the play Waiting for Godot. You know, sure. Spo- spoiler alert: Godot never comes. Right. Um, Stitch Fix for me is a waiting for Godot company. You know, I just, I just, I keep on wanting to see that definitive quarter where they've turned the quarter, cash flow is on, like it's onward and upward from here. It, this thing can turn into a compounding machine. And yesterday's quarter was good, better than expected, but it's not what I've been waiting for. And so I'm still stuck waiting for Godot. There are a lot of companies over the past five years that have gotten a lot bigger. Their balance sheets have gotten a lot fatter. Is there enough going on at Stitch Fix that you would not be surprised if a larger company came in and said, look, this is a, a less than $7 billion company. We're going to uh, offer them a 30% premium and make them part of our operation. I mean, you're, you're going to need to get uh, uh, CEO, soon to be former CEO, but chairwoman of the board and founder. You're going to need to get Katrina Lake on the board, uh, on board with any buyout, because she still has a, uh, a substantial ownership offering. Um, and. Look, by the way, me, by the way, that's why I think it's more likely. I'm not saying it's likely. Yeah. I just think it's more likely over the last six months with Katrina Lake saying, you know what? I'm not going to be the CEO anymore. Come August 1st, Elizabeth Spaulding's going to be running this company. I'll be ex- executive chair. So if, if she was staying in the corner office for the long run, I would think it was more unlikely that they get acquired. The fact that she's moving upstairs, to me, it bumps up the chances this happens. For me, you know, once uh, in hockey cliches, you know, they say, you know, once once Gretzky got traded, anyone can get traded. Uh, for me, the uh, the acquisition, the company that got acquired, once Monsanto, which was a hundred plus billion dollar company, uh, once Monsanto got acquired, I think anyone get acquired. So yes, absolutely, Stitch Fix could get acquired, no, no problem. Um, and you know, I think that there might be an argument for that. If uh, you'll, you'll often hear people say, well, you know, I don't want to deal with the deal. I don't want to deal with being a public company anymore. Uh, let's let's fix the problems or fix the business. Uh, behind the, the the closed doors of private equity or under someone else's um, um, banner, let's fix what's going on, and you can always IPO again in five years, say. Um, because again, I think I think this has been, I I, I, I like like the X Files uh, tagline used to be, I want to believe, I want to believe in the story here, and and every other quarter they give you a quarter that says, hey, you can believe in the story here, um, but I just. I haven't seen them string enough. I haven't seen them string enough quarters together for me to to be an unquestioned believer at this point. And so, I I appreciate what they did yesterday. Uh, like I said, I like the revenue growth, which is great. I like the um, uh, it's they they claimed it's their second highest quarter over over client additions. Uh, they said their active clients are up twenty percent, which uh, easily lapped the fact that the average client is now spending about three percent less. It still didn't matter on a net basis. Um, I just want to see more, and and uh, I'm I, I'm happy if they if, if they put the next three or four quarters and they prove me wrong, that prove my hesitancy here wrong, I'd be delighted. 
for for all the fools who own this thing um, because um, I because I want we want to see our members do well. Um, you know, shares of Chico's are up five percent this morning. Actually, a little bit more than five percent. They're hitting a two-year high. This is the women's apparel retailer. They came out with first quarter results that seem to have taken a backseat to the battle that Chico's is having with an activist investor, Barrington Capital, which doesn't have a huge stake in Chico. I was I'm always a little surprised when I see these, you know, this saber rattling from activist investors who don't have a five percent or greater stake in the company. Barrington Capital's got like a two percent stake. Uh, what do you think of what's happening, either with the results Chico's is putting up or this activist fight? Uh, I'll dismiss the results as meh, but you know every quarter for these guys for most of the last decade has been meh. So we can we can summarize Chico's there. Um, apologies to all the Chico's bulls out there. I don't think there are many, but um, look, I'm I'm someone who likes special situations investing. I'm someone who loves a good activist fight. I've made a lot of money personally over the years. I've made money for fools over the years by recommending that we go in on names that are. Uh, being fought over by activists of various quality, uh, names like uh, uh, GameStop, Bob Evans, Cracker Barrel, Steak and Shake, although uh, that guy turned out to be uh, a bit of another type of fish. Um, eBay, I mean, Starboard Value and Elliott bought 5% on eBay and rattled cages uh, a couple years ago. Um, so, so, you know, like I, I'm, I'm very comfortable playing in these waters. And so I'm also equally comfortable saying, um, Barrington Capital, and I'm hoping they're listening. I'm going to call them out. They are a nothing burger by, and they're being ignored by Chico's, and they probably should be because five years ago they tried the same play um, with Chico's. Five years ago, when the stock price was double today's two-year high, um, you know, and look, you've got you own a whopping two percent of a sub seven hundred million dollar company. Um, you're not going to get any and. You know, no one's going to rally to a 2% holder who's been standing on the sidelines sending a mild tut-tutting letter every five years. So, you know, Chico's responded by, quote, uh, we are taking all appropriate steps to improve performance and increase shareholder value, end quote. Whoop-de-doo. Barrington, if you want to be taken seriously, here, here's the playbook, okay? And so this is, this is consulting and it's free. You need to go out, you need to buy 10, ideally 15% of the company. You can afford it. Go out and seriously buy this company in bulk. And then run a proxy fight with a complete, this is a, a de-staggered board, so every year all nine directors get elected. You run a complete, you go out and pick your, your competing slate, and you run a proxy fight and you take over. Because the simple truth of the matter is, Chico's is down two-thirds from its high of the past decade even at being a two-year high today, Chris. It is down nearly 90% from its all-time high set all the way back in 2006. Um, if, if you want to do that, if you really want to put your money where your mouth is, Barrington, you know, you might even get Chico's uh, as a recommendation in Hidden Gems Canada because we do like a good activist fight. But right now, you're, you're a nothing burger. Newbank is an online bank in Brazil. That's N-U-B-A-N-K. Uh, Newbank has 40 million clients, just raised $750 million in financing. And the reason we're talking about it is that 500 million of those dollars in financing came from Berkshire Hathaway. Um, look, this is a private bank in Brazil. I'm 
you know, it, it caught my eye in part because it's like, oh, this seems like the antithesis of Wells Fargo. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm curious if, um, you, you know, where I want to go with this, Jim, and you watch Berkshire Hathaway more closely than I do. When you and I were talking about this this morning, the first thing you said was like, this isn't Warren Buffett. And, and I said, it's probably not, but we're not 100% positive. It, yes, it's the way to bet that it was someone else on his investing team who made this investment. He wasn't the one who did this, both because of what this bank is, where they are based, and the size of the money involved. But I'm curious if you think Berkshire Hathaway, the investment side of the business, is going to change when Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are no longer there. If we as investors are going to get more insight, because today it's new bank, but over the past five, ten years, there have been any number of investments that Berkshire Hathaway has been made, and you and I and everyone else who does this for a living spends a little bit of time saying, okay, who do we think made this? Was it Ted? Was it Todd? Was it, you know, now this seems like a war. This was Warren and Charlie. Do you think we're going to get more insight, or do you think when Buffett and Munger are gone, the investing side of the business is going to be as opaque as it is today? I kind of hope it is, to be honest with you. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, the the one thing we'll know for certain when when Buffett and Munger are are no longer on the stage, that we'll be be able to dispense with this. Was this Warren? Was this not Warren? Look, a $500 million investment, uh, the reason I'm pretty confident in saying I don't think this was Warren, although you know, he probably had to rubber stamp it at the end, but um, they've said at various other meetings, Buffett has said, you know, anything under a billion is not me. Um, so, you know, we'll take him at his word. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably certain he didn't wake up this morning learning for the first time that, you know, Berkshire now owned $500 million. But his whole thing with Ted and Todd, uh, the two kind of uh, lieutenants um, uh, on the investing team, um, you know, is, is they, he's brought them along, giving them greater responsibility over time and greater exposure over time. But, you know, this is, but he hasn't given them, I mean, he's, he's given them training wheels. Maybe they need it, maybe they don't, but he hasn't yet taken the training wheels off. But I mean, look, this is a $500 million investment. We know that Buffett, and I'm u- using Buffett deliberately versus Berkshire. Uh, we know that Buffett likes Brazil. He's gone into multiple partnerships with the, with the 3G guys out of Brazil. Uh, Stone Co., which uh, he, I think, I think they had a stake or revealed a stake three years ago. Um, Stone Co. is a Brazilian company. Um, it's done well for him. Uh, we know he likes banks, aside from perhaps Wells Fargo nowadays. Uh, we know that from history. Uh, so I, I, I don't think this is inconsistent with um, how Buffett likes to do things for Berkshire. But again, $500 million investment. You know, Berkshire Hathaway makes 7 or $8 billion in free cash flow per quarter. <laughs> right. I mean, like, like this is this is couch cushion money for Berkshire. Uh, it's a small bet. The the problem, and I, yeah, like the they they raised New Bank that is raised um, seven hundred fifty million five hundred of being Berkshire, but that gives the the overall entity an valuation of about thirty billion. So Berkshire here is is not uh, not a giant player here, and, and they're probably going to come public uh, within the year or two. Uh, some of the things I read suggested. Um, but this is still a tiny bet for Berkshire. And the problem is tiny bets don't really 
you know, if, if, if I have a 20 bagger in a 0.1% position in my portfolio, um, it's probably not, I, I, okay, that's nice, but it doesn't really move the needle. And for, for New Bank to be a needle mover for Berkshire, I think they're going to have to add substantial capital here. Uh, I, I somehow doubt that this is going to go from 30 billion to 3 trillion anytime soon to, to actually move the needle and make it substantial for Berkshire. So it's, it's interesting. Um, what'll be more interesting to me is once you do get this thing going public, if, if Berkshire doubles down and, and adds that, that to me will be more of the test of the, is this Ted and Todd continuing? Or if you see, um, I'm not too sure what they own percentage wise of, uh, um, Bank of America now, but I think they might be approaching the 10% limit, which is where he tends to like to not own more. Um, if we if we see new bank ownership get up to the you know seven to ten percent range soon after an IPO, then I'm willing to concede this is Buffett. <laughs> um, last thing before I let you go, as you watch all of the madness with the meme stocks, AMC Entertainment, uh, GameStop, etc., play out. What do you sit on the sidelines and just sort of think, well, that's interesting to look at, but I'm not participating in that. Does it does it make your blood boil? Like, what what are you thinking as you're watching all of this? Uh, I think I coined the phrase, or I've used the phrase um, a couple of times now. I think we're in the golden age of greater fool theory. Greater fool theory, of course, being uh, the only value that I can ascribe to a security is the value that I'll be able to unload it on a greater fool than I at some point in the future. Um, doesn't burn my blood or boil my blood or whatever. I'm mixing metaphors, I'm sure. Um, it does make me kind of wonder why people want to play in areas where, uh, where history suggests you're probably going to get hurt and um you know and 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 people are acting as if they won't be the greatest fool that at some point you know they'll always be able to to sell and and so far they've been right um you know the meme stocks you say gamestop uh, amc um hertz earlier was saying you know hertz tried to put a filing out while in bankruptcy saying you know you're going to get zero um and there's also a lot of options use, and I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of at a point where, like, none of this bothers me because I'm not playing in this pool, uh, and uh, I am. There, there is no shortage, I think, of great long-term three to five plus year investments we can make. I mean, I, I've got a pretty steady uh, idea flow coming. Uh, some of them are even good, um, and because of that. I just kind of look sideways at some of the um, these greater, whether it be cryptocurrency where there's no intrinsic value, whether it be some of these SPACs which are of dubious quality, some of them, uh, whether it be the meme stocks as we call them. Uh, I just, you guys are playing a different game, man, and 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 I I've. I've seen how that game tends to end, but you know, while you're in it, I guess, I mean, uh, uh, Alan Greenspan did the famous, uh, the, the, uh, the famous, um, uh, irrational exuberance comment was of course, 1996, right? And it was, yeah, it was 96 or 97. I mean, yeah, it was, it was several years before the dot-com bubble burst. And the peak of the dot-com bubble was March, 2000. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe meme stocks are here to, maybe meme stocks are here to stay for a little while and, and, and God bless, um, but it won't be 
I, I promise you I won't make a penny off of a meme stock or I won't lose a penny off of a meme stock. So, and, and neither will any fools who are following uh, what I recommend. So, Coming to the table with references to Wayne Gretzky, Waiting for Godot, and The X-Files, Jim Gillies. Great talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.